Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. It's good to be back with you. Some of you didn't know I was gone, but I was gone for a few weeks, and I want to thank Pastor Cyrus for preaching in my place, and our staff, and elders, and all of you holding everything together while I was gone. But it was good to be gone for a little bit. Uh, Somebody asked me, did I get any R&R? And I said, if you mean repentance and regeneration, I got that. (laughs) So yeah, man, that was good. God was working on my heart. But yes, I also got rest and relaxation. And uh, I spent, um, at the end of June, man, that seems like a whole nother month ago, but uh, I went to a conference down in Southern California. That was good. I went with a couple pastor friends, and there were few thousand there and that fed my soul that energized me and I'm like I'm ready to come back and and one of my best friends for the last three weeks has been my backpack here and so I took it to California with me I then took it on a little personal retreat I had up at Silver Creek Falls me and God and and the creation up there and then my youngest daughter and I went up to Seattle and and Everywhere I went, the backpack went with me. So I'm used to carrying this with me. So if it's all right with you, I just brought it onto the stage with me today to share the stage with me, my trusty backpack. But anyway, it's good to see you today. I was like, man, when I was gone, a lot happened. I was looking at this worship program. Two babies were born in the last two days to the Merritts and Smiths. Congratulations to them. Fantastic. Then I was looking at this and like, where are, all of our, where are all of our youth? And 20 of our youth are coming back from a rafting trip today. Hopefully they're coming back. Lord, please help them to come back. And uh, then I'm looking at this, and there's something kind of catchy in here I see on the back of this worship program. And it says, softball tomorrow night. Team number one plays at 8.30, and team number two plays at 8.30. What it does not say is they play against each other. We got a civil war in the church happening tomorrow night down at Bryant Park. I'm going just to be the referee and make sure no church fights break out there. But that's going to be a good time. And then I thought, you know, when Cyrus mentioned the uh, connection card, I I grabbed one myself. And, you know, I wrote the date, second service. And and then I was like, I'm not sure how to respond to this. I I didn't really feel comfortable marking regular attender. I'm like, (laughs) I'm not right now. So... I kind of marked return guest, and, uh, but I did mark married, still married. And uh, So anyway, if you haven't filled out one of these cards, do that. Uh, some of you are even new in the last four weeks that I've been gone, and so we would be honored to get to know you in greater ways. At the end of the service, you can put that in the joy box there. But let me get into this. In the last few weeks, uh, Pastor Cyrus shared with us the story of Jonah. And uh, I read through that book myself while I was gone. Fascinating story. Sometimes we think that's a story of Jonah, but it's not. And then we think maybe it's a story about a big fish, but it's not. That's really a story of the relentless love of God. And so I appreciate Cyrus preaching on that. And, and, and what I want to do is I want to take the next seven weeks and share some stories as well. Because I love stories. In fact, I'm accused of telling too many stories. I'm going to tell a few stories today that even first service, I didn't even plan to tell a few stories. But I just like telling stories. And so we're going to look at some stories over the next few weeks. uh, Because these stories in the Word of God are great. The story is good, but it really tells the story of God. It talks about the character of God, His relentless love. And we're going to see some things about God today today. 
and some things about us. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me. 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10. Grab a Bible out. I don't want to be the only one reading this. I want you to see this for yourselves today. I want you to mark up your Bible. Grab the one in front of you if you don't have one. Page 290. And I want to preach the next seven weeks from First and Second Kings. There are just some fascinating stories here about the kings of the nation of Israel. When we read this story, the nation of Israel here, this is about 1,000 B.C., okay, so 3,000 years ago. And for 400 years, the, the kings of Israel are, are leading this way. Great stories of people, great stories of God. If you're looking for something to read, read about this. Today, specifically, we're going to talk about a man named Solomon, one of the great kings of the nation of Israel, in what I have entitled The Mess of Much. The Mess of Much. Solomon, we're going to see, is an amazing person. Solomon actually has so much stuff in life that if we would look at him in present day, we'd just say, wow, that is great. Some of us would uh, covet what he had. He had a lot of stuff. In fact, we're going to see that he had too much stuff, too much good stuff. That reminded me of like AM, PM, mini market, right? It was like, too much good stuff. All right. So he had too much good stuff in his life. And as I was thinking about that with us, there is stuff in our own lives. Let's make this practical here real quickly. There is stuff in our own lives that we have often in great quantities. Good stuff that actually gets into our hearts and in our minds. Things that we start to obsess over. Maybe even this morning you're like, just hurry up and finish, Scott, because I got so much on my mind already. I'm obsessed with this or that. Maybe something gets obsessed in your heart. So much stuff that you don't sleep well at night. We get so much stuff in our minds, in our hearts, in our closets, in our homes, whatever it is. Stuff we get obsessed with. Stuff we get too involved with. Things that can actually send us down a very deadly path. And that's what I want us to consider today. So that we miss out on the plans that God has for us. That we miss out on the mission God has for us. So let me just ask you, do you, do you have too much stuff possibly in your mind? Too much stuff in your heart? Too much stuff in your closet at home? Just give me a little nod if you got too much stuff at times. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to consider this today because much can create mess. Much can create mess in your life. For instance, here's what I know about us. We have too many toys, too many toys that can be a distraction. Sometimes we have too many clothes I like clothes, but sometimes we can just have too much good stuff. Some of us watch too much TV. Some of us play too many games. Some of us seek out too many experiences. I was thinking about myself and just, is this practical for me? And I thought, you know what, I spent most of my life, at least the younger days of my life, it started back when I was eight years old, collecting baseball cards. Now that may make me sound like a nerd, but I'm a nerd, okay? And so I used to collect these baseball cards, and I would just obsess about these baseball cards, and I would always want more, and I'd read the backs of them, and I'd memorize, and I've got so much meaningless knowledge in this brain from spending time with those baseball cards, but I just had so much stuff. 
became a god for me in a sense. I just wanted to worship that. I wanted to spend time with that. Now, fortunately, in my maturity, I have grown out of that. But here's what I've learned about myself. I'm a collector. I'm, I'm secretly a hoarder. All right. Anybody like that in here besides me? All right. right. Come on. Raise your hand. Any hoarders? Oh, man. Look around. There's a lot of hoarders in here. We just, we collect stuff. We collect stuff. My wife, she's a purger. She likes throwing away all the stuff that I like to collect. I blame my dad partly for this. And so it's easy because he's not with us. He's in heaven, so I can talk badly about him. But he started me down this terrible habit. And I remember in 1983, we were in Boston at Fenway Park watching a baseball game. And he said this. He says, let me teach you something. After the game, we're going to go around the stadium and we're going to pick up souvenir cups. All right? A couple good things. One, you're going to remember this experience. But two... It's free. All these people who've been drinking beer and soda pop and spitting their sunflower seeds, that's all right. We're just going to dump it out. We're going to take it with us to the hotel, wash them out. Great souvenirs for you. This is my dad's idea. 1983. Guess what I still have from 1983? Boston Red Sox from Fenway Park. I got this. I'm like, Dad, that, that was great. That was great that you got me on this free souvenirs. I mean, you pay so much for the ticket. And, and then he said, oh, I'm not done, Scott. I'm not done. And so he said this when he went to the first game in Colorado in 1993 when they opened their stadium. He got a cup for me. And then he went to the first game at the new park in San Francisco in 2000. And he got a cup for me. And that cheapskate, he didn't buy me anything. He just got me free cups. But then I started going to games, and I got some cups for myself. I was like, yeah, I've gone to duck games. I've gone to beaver games. I got way too many beaver cups. Different. Cups. I've been to the park in Cleveland. I've been to the Trailblazer game, of course. That's a good one. I've been to the stadium in Arizona, and I go and collect cups. This grosses my wife out, but I love it. And, of course, I have some Mariner cups. And you know what? They give out new cups like every game. It's awesome. And so I have to keep collecting all of these cups. Some of you have, I'm blaming you now. You've uh, grown this obsession of mine. And so you start uh, saying things. So somebody says, here, we, we collected a cup from Cincinnati years ago. You need to have that one. And then somebody went to Chicago and said, let me give you a cup. Somebody went to the College World Series a couple years ago and said, here's a cup for you. Uh, you know, and so it's your fault that I'm collecting this. And now I have this mess of much. Oh, but recently a friend of mine sent me a text and he says, I'm at a baseball game in Anaheim. Would you like me to bring you a cup? And I thought, hmm, that's... So here's what I did. I said, yes, I'd like 15 of them. Because my thought was, I want him to get into the experience. I want him to get the gross cups. I want him to have to do this. And I said, no, 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 one would be fine. And so he brought me 15 cups. I'm like, man... (laughs) 
And this is me, the mess of much. I have them in my office. I have them in my home multiple places. I have given them to my kids. They're in their bedrooms. In fact, this morning as I was walking out that door and behind the stage here, guess what I see? I see another Mariner cup. Not even one of the ones. I'm like, they're just all over this building. It's just the mess of much. It just, it permeates. And I thought, oh, I've grown crazy with this. But that's, 15's not even the record. <laughs> I forgot to tell this to first service. I went with some friends to a Mariner game a few years ago, and I said, we've got to do this, and let's just have a contest. And we walked out of Safeco Field, I'm not joking, with 54 cups. <laughs> it was awesome. I couldn't fit those in the backpack, or I would have brought them down. Anyway. The point I want us to see in all of this today is that God has given us much and he's given us a purpose and he's given us a mission in life and yet the mess of much sends us off on a different track. We get so obsessed over this stuff that we forget what we're called to do in life. We forgot, forget who we're called to live for in this life and this is what I'd like to look at today as we read this story in 1 Kings chapter 10, page 290. Let me just set the scene for the story. King Solomon, he's got this great kingdom, but there is this queen from a nearby land, and she says she wants to go visit King Solomon. She's heard amazing things about him, heard about his riches, heard about his wisdom, and she goes and checks it out, and she's just blown away. She's like, whoa! It says actually that she lost her breath. She's just like, no way. You have that many cups? And he's like, man, you haven't even seen it all. So this is where we pick up the story. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 6. Follow along as I read. And she, the queen of Sheba, said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. She's like, no. I've seen a lot here. And I've heard of your great wisdom, but not even the half. I, I, I didn't get how great your kingdom was. She goes on to say, your wisdom and your prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Verse 8, happy are your men, happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Verse 9, important verse here. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. In other words, she's using a phrase that we said a couple months ago. He did it. Your God, and I'm not sure, sure the God that she worships, but she knows this God, Yahweh, the God of the Israelites. He did it. He put you in charge. He has blessed you exceedingly. She goes on to say, because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king. He did it that you might execute justice and righteousness. Verse 10, then she gave the king 120 talents of gold. If I did my math right, it's about 9,000 pounds of gold. This is just the, hey, I'm impressed. I want to give you a gift, 9,000 pounds of gold. Holy cow. And she gave a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Now, as we look at this part of the story, the queen made a phenomenal statement back in verse 9. I want you to look at this again. In verse 9, she says this, Blessed be your God, Yahweh, we see this as the Lord, 
Because he loves you, he has blessed you. And she finishes up to execute justice and righteousness. Do you see a purpose in here? She understands God has blessed you for a set purpose in life. To be one who is right, to act justly, to look after those who are oppressed. God has set you up to do this. Now let's consider this thought this morning, that God invests in me, and he invests in each of us with specific purposes in mind. I want you to write this down and consider this, that God invests in us with specific purposes in mind. He did this with Solomon, he does this with you. God created you with a specific purpose in mind. God has kept you alive with specific purposes in mind. God sent his son Jesus with specific purposes in mind. Some of you in this room believe in Jesus, and he caused you to believe in Jesus with set purposes in mind, that you would be saved, that you'd be included into a family, that you'd be included into a ministry, that he would be glorified. He did all of this with specific purposes in mind. For every single one of you, God wants you to believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, and what He has done for you because He has specific purposes in mind for you. He sent His Son. He says, I want you to understand that I love you. I want to save you from your sins. You can't save yourself. I want you to know this, that you can be saved from your sins. God wants to include you into his family. He wants to include you into his great work. He wants to do this all for his glory. He does this with specific purposes in mind. God provides for us. And he gives gifts and he gives you talents with specific purposes in mind that you would grow closer to him, that you would help others along the way. God has you where you are in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in this community. He has you where you are with specific purposes in mind to grow closer to him and to help others along the way. And so I'm going to ask that you repeat some of this with me or after me here. God's got a great plan. Let me hear you say that. Now let's say it like we really believe it. God has a great plan. Personalize it and say God has a great plan for me. Look at somebody sitting next to you and say, God has a great plan for you. God does. And he provides and he invests with specific purposes in mind. What are those purposes? Yeah, it's partly to know God. He wants you to know him and to live for him and to give your life to him. And to receive love from him and to share that love to others. God has this plan that you would be part of this. So the Queen of Sheba was right when she says this, that God has set you up, Solomon. He's invested in you with specific purposes in mind to execute justice and righteousness. You didn't just randomly get here because your dad was the king. You haven't been blessed in all these ways just because you're lucky. Or you've worked hard for this. But God has set you up with specific purposes in mind, Solomon. Now Solomon, he was given a ton of gold. Actually, 4.5 tons of gold. And God had invested in Solomon with specific purposes in mind. 
So let's keep reading to see how Solomon lived in response to God's blessing. How does Solomon live in response to God's investment? And the next few verses speak of the abundance of gold. And it said that, this is cool, that Solomon had cups too. He was a cup collector. His just happened to be gold, minor plastic. So I'm in good company with the king of Israel here. But he has cups and they're all gold. But it didn't stop with gold. Verse 22, follow along. For the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish. Ah, Jonah was headed off that way, wasn't he? Fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, check this out, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come back bringing more gold, silver, ivory, apes. I mean, the guy had his own zoo. And so Solomon has it all. And as I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, if I could talk to you, Solomon, I would say, Solomon, watch out for the mess of much. Ships are coming in, just bringing all of this stuff to you. Solomon, watch out for the mess of much. Go to verse 23. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Of course, he's getting all this brought in. Verse 24, And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Again, God's doing this for a purpose. We're going to see how Solomon responds to this. Verse 25, Every one of them brought his present, or brought... Every one of them brought his present articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. And I'm thinking, Solomon, watch out for the mess of much. you got to watch out for this, buddy. Verse 26, and Solomon gathered, not only is, is, is it being brought to him, but he gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots. 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Israel. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. And I'm thinking, Solomon, Solomon, watch out for the mess of much. And as I was writing that down, I thought, frankly, that's a good phrase for us to write down. Would you write that down? Write your name, Scott. Watch out for the mess of much. Put your name, watch out for the mess of much. That you would start acquiring more and more. I'm just telling you that you need to watch out for this. Solemn, you've got to watch out for this. Church, you've got to watch out for the mess of much. Because if you get so caught up in this much, you're going to lose sight of your purpose. You're going to lose sight of the mission that God has for you. But Solomon's collection didn't stop with gold and silver. Go to chapter 11 with me real quickly. Let me read a few verses here. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Moabite, Ammonite, Edenite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. He didn't care. Just bring in the women. Verse 2. From the nations, catch this, concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for they will surely turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives. Uh, Is that a typo? Yeah, he had 700 wives who were princesses, 300 concubines. And his wives, underline this, turned away his heart. And I want to say, Solomon, watch out for the mess of much. 
Consider this thought with me, if you would, that we turn God's blessing into traps when we love the gift more than we love the giver. We turn the blessing that God gives us into traps for ourselves when we start loving the gift more than we love the giver. It says Solomon started seeing this and said, I want more, I want more, I want more. The greatest command, it's there in your notes, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5. 6, 4 through 5. And it says this, listen up, Israel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Israel, catch this. Commit yourselves completely to the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Jesus was asked one day, what's the greatest command? There's a lot in this big book. And he says, it's this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind. You've got to commit here. Because there's so much out there, and it creates a mess for you. So I started asking a question, how do I know if I love the gift more than I love the giver? Because I love gifts. And I love the giver. How do I know if I'm loving the gift more than the giver? And I thought of a couple questions to answer that. One, you can write these down if you want. Is my heart satisfied or do I have to keep looking? Is my heart satisfied or do I have to keep looking? If you're loving gifts, you will never be satisfied. If you're loving plastic cups, you will never be satisfied because there's more out there. There's more. I could get more. I could get more. You will never be satisfied if you love the gifts. But if you love the giver, your heart can find contentment. Your heart can find satisfaction. You see, God made it that we would find soul satisfaction in him. The idea is that God would say, enjoy the creation. I hope you go to the beach this summer. Enjoy that. But give thanks and praise to the creator. In fact, be awed by it. Just sit there and go, wow. But love the creator. Go to the mountains. Go up there and enjoy it. Enjoy the creation. But give thanks to the creator. Enjoy the, the pleasures of a good barbecue. But give thanks to the creator. Give thanks to that. Let's be honest, when we start pursuing stuff, it just doesn't satisfy, does it? We could sit down and just ask each other, how have you tried to pursue stuff and you're never completely satisfied? You enjoy it, but you're never satisfied. It actually creates a desire for more. The more I get cups, I'm like, wait a second, he just brought me a cup from Angel Stadium. How many more stadiums are there? I, it creates a desire for more. And this is the mess of much. How else do I know if I'm loving the gift more than the giver? And a question I had to write down was this. Am I obeying the commands of God? Am I obeying the commands of God? Now, God had written this command in Exodus chapter 34. You can write this down and look this up later. Exodus chapter 34. And one of the things that God says is he says, I don't want you to find wives from other nations. Now this wasn't about racial, interracial marriages. It was just this. I don't want you to marry somebody who loves another God. Because you won't love me. I don't want you to love somebody whose heart would turn you away from me. He's like, marry people who love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind. And if, if Solomon would have known these commands, am I obeying the commands of God? He wasn't. They'll turn your heart. 
I think Solomon probably said, eh, I'm, not, I'm enjoying the gift, and I'm enjoying the, the giver, and I, I'm okay, I'll be all right. I mean, I know what God suggested. It wasn't a suggestion, it was a commandment. Don't let your heart be turned. The question is, are you committed to obedience to God versus your personal desires? If you have to choose obedience to God, personal desires, let's be honest, we just typically go down this personal desires path instead of saying, wait, what does God have to say about this? What does God command? I wish Solomon would have asked that question. I wish as he's collecting all of this, he would have said, you know what, what does God say? Oh, wait, Exodus 34, don't select women from here. Why? They could turn my heart. We just read this is what's happening. Now, when the nation of Israel, 400 years prior to all of this, as they were going through the desert and God said, one day you're going to have your own home, he gave some commands found in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Write down this passage and then let's read some of this on the screen. God said this, before Israel has its own kings, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, because it'll happen one day. I know you're in the desert now, but you'll have your home one day. And you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I'll set up a king over me like the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over, whom, over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers, you shall set his king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who's not your brother. Again, the idea is don't put somebody who doesn't worship Yahweh, who doesn't worship the God of the creator of heaven and earth. Set up somebody who obeys this God. Then it goes on to say this. Only he must not acquire many horses, the king, for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Seriously? God saw this one coming, didn't he? He said, I, I saw this. This is why I lay out my commands. Not so that you'd be miserable, but I know what will happen. I know the mess of much in your life. This is what God knows. God knew. Father knew best, didn't he? You see, the mess of much causes a turning of my heart. It does. The mess of much causes a turning in your heart, in my heart. Did this with Solomon. God knew this. He says, the mess of much, getting more and more, causes a turning of your heart. And what happens is it derails you from loving God completely and living out the purposes that God has for me. The mess of much, it will derail you. We sit there and think, ah, oh, a little bit more, a little bit more, I'll be happy. No, it's actually going to derail you. It's going to derail you from loving God completely. It will derail you from living out the purposes that God has for you. There's a reason that God says don't take too many possessions. The mess of much. It's going to turn your heart away from God. I look at that and I think God called it, didn't he? He, he called it in Deuteronomy. He called it a few hundred years before Solomon. He's like, he called it. And he calls it for us as well. It's interesting, this week at a staff meeting we had, we're down there and we're talking and something rare happened. My phone went off and I was the last one in the group to know it was my phone. It was buzzing and so anyway, I pick it up and I'm 
sorry, I, I don't know that number. A few seconds later, it, it rang again. I'm like, sorry, I don't know that number. It rang seven straight times in the middle of our meeting. I'm like, hold on, I'm just going to take this phone call. And I'm going to put it on speaker. I don't know who it is, but I love you, staff. We're family. Let's just see what it is. And the voice on the other side said, congratulations, you just won $3.5 million in a brand new car. I'm like, woo! And immediately I said, no, thank you. And it wasn't an automated thing because the person on the other end responded. And he says, why? I said, I don't need it. Why? I said, have you ever heard of the mess of much? <laughs> of course he had not. I had just made this little phrase up. Okay. But here's what I told him. I said, here's what I know. If I got $3.5 million, it could turn my heart from God. I just don't want that mess. He's like, okay. He hung up. I looked at the staff and I said, did I just turn away $3.5 million? But I thought about it and I thought, you know what? I, I don't want $3.5 million. I don't want that mess. Oh, it would solve some problems, amen? But it would create a whole lot more. And fortunately, God is teaching me this. That's the only time I've ever been offered $3.5 million of the week I'm talking about the mess of much. This was crazy. Here's what I also find fascinating is that the phone call happened during a staff meeting because if the phone call happened and I were alone at home or in my office, I would have said, tell me more, <laughs> right? i like, what do I have to do? <laughs> I would have filled out an online survey probably, right? And I, I thought, this is beautiful too because there's power with the family of God. There's power with the body of Christ because when I heard that, I was like, no thanks, I don't need that mess. On my own, I would have thought, hmm, I might like that. This is why you need people in your life so that you can, they can say, I mean, if I would have said to the staff, I, I'm going to take this call, excuse me, everybody, they would have said, no, hang up. Power of the body of Christ saying no to this. You see, I didn't want $3.5 million. Part of me does. But I knew that that becomes the mess of much. But then I thought about this, and it doesn't take $3.5 million to turn my heart. It takes a whole lot less, actually, right? It doesn't take much to turn my heart away from God and go, whoa, that looks good. It doesn't at all. My heart is desperately sick. And guess what? Yours is too. This is what the Word of God says. Your heart is sick. And this is why Jesus came. Jesus says, I don't want to just make you religious. I want to give you a brand new heart. I want to save your heart. I want to continue to save your heart. This is why we need Jesus. This is why I could say no thanks to 3.5 million. Because God is doing something in my heart. My heart, this is what I know, it's just an idol factory. I, I want more and more and more of... And God says, no, you need more and more of me. The mess of much, it, it causes a couple things. It causes a turning of my heart, but it also causes a discontentment in my heart. Would you write this down and consider this with me? The mess of much causes a discontentment in my heart. Instead of seeing what we do have and being thankful, you and I see what we do not have and we complain. 
We look around. Some of you, unfortunately, are looking at these cups and saying, oh, I wish I had those cups. Oh, I bet you're struggling with this. You know, if you are, come see me. I'll give some of these away to you. But we struggle with discontentment. We, never, we hardly see what we do have and give thanks. We see what we don't have and we complain. Have you experienced this? Instead of feeling satisfied with more stuff, you feel empty. Do you know what I'm talking about? Just nod your head and you're like, yeah, I get that. It's possessions. You're like, oh, if I just had more of this and more of this, I'd be happy. And what's happening with you? You're saying, I got all of that stuff and I'm still wanting more. I'm still not satisfied. Some of you are like, oh, if I just had more vacation time or I can't wait till I retire because then I get to live for myself. And you're finding out that living for yourself is not the answer. Some of you are saying, I just need another smoke, another drink, another relationship. If I just have another one of these, all of a sudden I'll be satisfied. And you're not. We're looking for love. We're looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. Only God can satisfy. In fact, that's something you need to write down and you need to say. Repeat after me. Only God can satisfy. Let's say it like we believe it this time. Only God can satisfy. And we will spend the rest of our lifetime understanding that truth more and more. Okay, we understand it a little bit today, and some of you understand it a little, little more than others, but we will spend the rest of our life that only God satisfies. Only God satisfies. So the much, mess of much, it causes a discontentment in my heart, and it fails to satisfy. It just fails to satisfy. Whether it's this collection of cups, it fails to satisfy. It's fun to talk about some of the story, but it fails to satisfy me. Or whatever it is in your life, it fails to satisfy you if, if it's not your maker, if it's not your savior, if it's not your creator, fails to satisfy. So I thought I want to share with you some cures to this chaos. If I could sit down with Solomon, I'd say, let me tell you how to get out of this mess that you're in. Let me give you some cures to this chaos. Fortunately, I, I get to look back on some history and know more about Jesus. But this is the cure for chaos for you and for me. Let me share a few thoughts. Number one, I must invest in growing my knowledge of God's truth. I must invest in growing my knowledge of God's truth. I thought must, that's kind of a strong word. I, I wrestled with that must. And I'm like, no, that's the truth. You have to do this or your heart's going to be turned. Solomon did not invest in the, knowing God's word. And because of that, he failed God's word. You have to, I have to invest in knowing God's word. It's an investment you're going to have to make. You say, oh, well, I invest going to the gym, good for you. I invest collecting cups, good for you. I invest in doing this, good. But you must invest in knowing God's word, his truth. Let me share a few truths with you. Proverbs chapter 30. Let's look at this one. And it wasn't Solomon who wrote this, interestingly enough. But it says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? The wise man says, listen, here's what I know. If I get fat, I will get lazy, and I will go, who's God? I got it all myself. This is part of God's word that you need to know. Don't ask for riches. Don't. Don't ask that you would have everything that you would want on that list that's in your Amazon card. Don't ask for all of that. 
Because before long, you're going to say, who's the Lord? I got everything I need. Let me show you another passage here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul says to Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. Here's one of the things. As you grow in godliness, contentment will be one of your strengths. You will grow in this. Say, I don't need it. I don't need it. Let me show you one more passage in Hebrews chapter 13. Write this down. It says this, keep your life free from the love of money. There's a command right there that every one of us needs to put in our back pocket, in our heart, in our brain. Keep your life free from this, from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can say, confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Contentment. Keep your life free from this. Be content. Last weekend, I got to play golf with one of my uncles up in Washington. I didn't bring my golf clubs. I didn't plan to golf. And he says, that's all right. I've got a bunch of extra golf clubs. And I went into his garage and I drooled. I saw his and then I saw all the extras. And I'm like, whoa, the extras. I would love these extras. And so when we went to play, he said, I'll put some clubs together. And I fell in love with this three wood. I saw it. He wasn't even using it. It was this beautiful three wood. And it was dirty. And I took it over to the sink and I washed it. And I'm like, I'm going to use this. And I hid it like a dream. I was like, oh, this is a great. And I kept bragging about how great this club was. And I was hoping he would say to me, oh, I don't need it. You can have it. But I didn't want to ask. So I just kept saying, oh, this is so nice. This is better than mine. I hit this one really well. You don't ever use this. You know, and things like that. And finally, he says to me, you know what? I don't use that. Why don't you take it home? I was like, yes, that's exactly what I wanted. The morning I left... I decided just to leave it in the garage. I don't need it. It would help my game, but I don't need it. Because here's what I know about my own heart, that if I took it home and I used it, I'd fall in love with it, and then I'd say, wait a second, this is a five-year-old model. What if I got the, the newest one? And just part of my own maturity, I said, as much as I love that, I'm just going to be content with the three wood I have, which is a ladies' club. <laughs> Seriously, my three wood is a ladies' club three wood, all right? <laughs> it's humbling when I have to hit a ladies' club, but anyway. But I thought, you know what? God was teaching me something. That's not going to satisfy you. It won't, because it will only create a hunger for something else. Keep your lives free from the love of golf clubs, all right? Keep your lives free from the love of, you, you fill in the blank there. Keep your lives free from the love of possessions, of money, of attention, of love from other people, whatever it is. Keep your lives free from that. Be content with where you are. Be content with what God has given you. Oh man, I could go on that one for a while. Secondly, I must align, I must continually align my heart with God's truth. It's not enough just to know the truth and go, okay, I got those verses memorized. I got the Proverbs and the Hebrews memorized. It's more than just the knowledge of this. We have to continually, and it's a must, have to continually align our heart to God's truth. To say, God, I see what your truth says. I'm going to align with you. My heart wants to turn, but I'm going to align with you. Over and over, we must continually align our heart with the truth. Let me share a few passages with you. James chapter 1, verse 22, it says this, Be doers 
of the word. Church, don't just know a lot of Bible, know where verses are in the Bible, but we have to be doers of it. Okay, now you know, keep your lives free from the love of money. Now do that. Ask God to help you to do that. Let me show you another passage here in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said this, Everyone who hears these words and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. You're hearing today. Do them. That's where life is. To hear and to do. You have to continually align your heart with God's truth. Third thought I came up with to a cure for this chaos. I must continually commit to living for God. Continually commit to living for God. Just commit me. Some of you have made a commitment to Jesus. And you said, Jesus, I need you for the forgiveness of my sins. I need you to be the Savior of my life. Good. Continually commit to live for him. I need you today. I need you this moment. This wasn't just a one-time decision you made. And then you live for yourself. Know that you continually live for him. Some of you are trying to just live for yourself. It doesn't work. You need to commit your life to Jesus. And then continually do this. Lest your heart, like Solomon's, turns away from him. Let me share with you one of my favorite passages in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, Jesus died for all. So that's laying the groundwork. That those now who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. Who for their sake died and was raised. It says, Jesus died for you. He, now you have a life. What are you going to do? You must continually commit to live for him. It's a a continual battle. It's a fight. But you continue to live for him or like Solomon, your heart can turn. Whatever it is, your heart can turn. Last thought I want to share with you is this. I must remember the saving work of Jesus. It always comes back to Jesus Jesus, what he did by going to the cross on your behalf so that you could have a new heart, a forgiven heart. The idea is not that you'd become religious. He says, I just want to make a brand new heart. Your deceitful, wicked heart, your heart that would just pursue your own goals. I'm going to give you a new heart that, would, that can pursue me. And so remember the saving work. Remember the promises. Remember the forgiveness. Because here's the problem. Before long, I start doing this again. Oh, I love you. I want more of you. You probably think this is really gross, but I'm sorry. You know, I got... Whatever it is, you, 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 you do this with your own idols. And the idea is, wait a second, I've got to remember the saving work of Jesus. I confess my love for that and say, that was wrong. I, I love you, God. I remember your saving work. You, you've forgiven me. You've created a clean heart in me. You've created a new heart in me. My heart likes to go that way and get wicked, but I thank you. You've given me a clean heart. I remember your work. Because Jesus has provided everything that we need. The hope you needed, Jesus provided. The soul satisfaction we needed, it's found in a relationship with Jesus. The soul satisfaction that we need is found in obeying Jesus. The soul satisfaction that you need is found in living for Jesus. So he's the one who died. He committed to die for you. The question is, will you commit to live for him?
The story of Solomon, you can keep reading this, but I'll just give you a little glimpse. His heart, because it was turned, because he allowed it to be turned, because he neglected the commands of God. God says to him, says, Solomon, the kingdom's going to be torn apart. It's going to be a mess. All that much that you had created a mess and the kingdom's going to be torn. It's not a, that's not the way that God desires for any of us. He says, follow me, follow me. I'm going to ask that you pray with me. I typically don't do this with you. I pray, and, but I'm going to ask that you repeat some prayers with me today. That you verbalize some prayers with me. And if you want to pray what I'm praying, verbalize it. But pray with me if you would, church. Search me and know me, God. Let me hear you, church. Search me and know me, God. Help me to examine my heart. My heart is a mess. But I thank you for Jesus. I believe in his work for me. But I need your help today. I will invest in knowing your truths. I will align my heart to your truths. I will continually commit to living for you. I will remember the saving work of Jesus. Hmm. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this story as a way of warning for us. Because in one sense, we're all like Solomon. We have much, and it becomes a mess. And we confess, and I'm the first one to confess, that I have loved the creation more than the creator. I have loved the gifts more than the giver. And I do that at times. And so I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for, for the forgiveness of sins. And I ask that you help us to pursue you. Our hearts can turn so easily. My heart can turn. And I ask that you help us to turn to you, to turn to you to confess, to turn to you for strength, to turn to you for wisdom. God, we, we want to watch out for the mess of much. And so we ask that you help us. Don't let our hearts turn strengthen us that we would be people who say I know what life is and it's following Jesus and so I thank you that you are compassionate to us, you are gracious you are slow to anger, you are bounding in steadfast love, we're actually like Nineveh that we heard the last few weeks we're that broken city that you forgive and restore and we thank you for that so I thank you for this time this morning to open your word with my brothers and sisters. Shape us. Shape us for your glory, for the sake of others. We pray all this and all of God's people said, amen, amen.